0: You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. We found a way to share our story with one person this week. So what we're going to do is we're going to dive into the text, and we're going to see maybe some things that can happen when... Maybe there's some good things, maybe there's some bad things, maybe there's some things for us to expect in this, and and, and what I hope is that you will gain um, some sort of vision to be able to do this, and I, I think if we kind of dive into the, the reason we don't do this, I don't think it's because we're being neg- negligent to our faith or because we've adamantly just said, no, Jesus, I'm not doing this, I think at least at, at some level in some seasons of our life, what we have lost is we've lost this grand excitement, this picture of what Jesus actually did for us. And what I hope is that you'll see the picture this morning again, and it'll rekindle the fire. If you're taking notes, the title of my sermon this morning is the grand excitement. So I want to catch you up as we dive into this text, because it's kind of a, a text that's in one whole piece that we put in two chunks. So last week, We opened up this text in Luke chapter 8, and we started talking about this demonic man. So Jesus and his disciples get on a boat. They leave the Galilean region, and they enter a place called Gerasenes, which we know is mostly a Gentile land. For those of you who are going, what is Gentile? Anybody that's not a Jew is a Gentile at this point. So culturally different Um, Experientially in life would have been different Possible language differences All sorts of differences That the disciples and Jesus are now entering into The the cozy nestled home of the Jewish tradition Is now gone And now they're entering into this mission field Which would be very different They arrive on the scene And there is uh, a demonic man Or a man who is demonically possessed And we see this account in Luke and in Mark as one man because it's highlighted on one conversation. But if you go to Matthew, he says there's actually two men present. And so we know that there are two men who are being demonically possessed. They have been living naked in and amongst the tombs. So this is a weird situation, right? That's not a normality in life, hopefully for most of you. So Jesus is now engaging with these naked men in a graveyard, And he begins to see that, hey, they are possessed by demons. And so he extracts, exercises the demons outside of these men and puts them into a herd of pigs that is nearby because demons want to possess some sort of thing. And we talked about demonic possession and all these different things in our sermon last week. So if you missed that, I'd encourage you to go connect that. We actually then released a podcast later in the week. So you can go on our website uh, or on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts and and hear all of that joyful information. So now what we know is that the men have been freed and the demons have been cast into these pigs. The pigs have then gone over a cliff and have died. And that's where we pick up in our text and what Brother Jimmy read for us this morning is that these herdmen in verse 34, let's go through it again, it says verse 34, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, the what had happened is the pigs going over the cliff and the men being freed from their demonic possession, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. So the news spread wide. Then people went out to see what had happened. They went out to these tombs, these areas, and they came to Jesus and found the men from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Again, Luke is only counting on the one person right here. You can go to Matthew's account to see the full picture. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it Told them how the demon possessed men had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Jericenes asked him to depart from them. So they're saying, Jesus, get out of here. For they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. That's 34 to 37. So what I want to do really quickly is I want to sh- share some key components to sharing this grand excitement. So we're talking about sharing our testimony, pointing people to Jesus. I want to give you a k- some key components. The first one that you'll see in this text is there are witnesses to this miracle. Witnesses to this mir- miracle. So first, the, the first case of witnesses that we see are what? These herdsmen. Now they likely didn't see these physical demon creatures leaving are, uh, the people are in the air floating around don't think about ghosts we talked about this they don't have physical bodies they like to possess things they cannot possess Christians you can go into the sermon hear more about that last week but what they did see is what men who were naked who were acting crazed and then all of a sudden sitting at the feet of Jesus and then they saw there were about 2,000 pigs all of a sudden go crazy and run off a cliff and so they're seeing the effects of this miracle They were simply tending to their flock, and then all of a sudden, everything went awry. A a group of people approached two naked guys, probably stopped them in their tracks, and they go, huh, that's weird. Why would anybody talk to two naked guys? And they stop and watch this interaction, and then their pigs die. This is the first set of people that are witnesses. The second set, is what is what does it say the witnesses or the herdsmen did? They went and told people. They went back to the city and to the country, as it said. And all of a sudden, the townspeople showed up. And they they witnessed all sorts of things as well. In verse 35, it says, Then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Now, I want you to think about this situation of the townspeople. They would have likely known these men. They would have heard of them, they would have, this, would not, this would have been something that would have been alarming to all of a sudden see these guys who they probably avoided for a large part of their life, and now the picture, the juxtaposition in front of them is insane. <coughs> Excuse me. You have these crazed men who lived at the tombs naked, now sitting at the feet of Jesus in a very calm demeanor saying, teach me, Rabbi. Rabbi. And so they were shocked. And I want you to think about what these witnesses were experiencing in this miracle, and I want you to ask yourself a question. I want you to think about the people who are in your life, because we all have witnesses every single day in our lives. What do they witness about you? The witnesses that see you, your coworkers, your family, the person at the gas station, The restaurant you regularly attend and sit with that waiter, that waitress, the bartender, like whatever, whoever you see on this regular basis, what do they witness about you? If they were to play a game, think of charades using words only to describe your character, what would these words be? What do people witness in your life? Would you bring me that cup of water, please? Thank you. (coughs) <coughs> let's get real honest. Thank you so much. This is my dad, everybody. So, you know, That's Don Barbie. Appreciate that. I want to get real honest for a second. I, I think when we start talking about witnessing what people see around us, I want to talk about the culture of Christianity in our region. What I mean by that is, I think if you look at the culture of Christianity in our nation, in the South, in the city, I'm not convinced that this culture is always good for us. The other day I was riding the car with Micah, and uh, that's my son. We, we love music. Specifically, he loves country music and rock and roll. Well, this one time we were listening to country music and it was blasting up, and there was this song. It's kind of a slower song, it's one of those like, you know, cutie songs, and it's it's by Adam Dylan Scott. It's called Can't Have Mine, okay? I'm going to play it for you in just a second, but uh, as we're listening to this song, he asks me a question. He goes, hey, Dad, is this, and this is a regular question in our life. My kids ask me this all the time. Does that guy love God? Is this a Jesus song? And most of the time, my answer is, I have no idea. Like, I'm not speaking for someone else, you know, in that situation. Unless it's like, I don't know, Brandon Lake, who's a worship leader. I, I have a, a decent amount of, hopefully, right? I have a decent amount of assurance that this guy loves Jesus. But just because you drop a, a Jesus name and a song on the radio, I ain't speaking for that. So I just say, I, you know, I really don't know, man. And, he, and then his next question is, well, if he does love Jesus, why does he talk about I don't know, going wild on Friday nights and then going to church on Sunday morning. Y'all listen to this song. All right, so let's get one thing clear. I ain't blasting Dylan Scott of that song. I like the song. I don't know anything about Dylan Scott. Let's just get that really clear, okay? So I do think it's interesting, though, that my eight-year-old uh, discerned attention. Attention, in, uh, and I'm not saying it's, it's there or not necessarily because... What, do we, what does he mean by, you know, dancing in the back of a bar? What does he mean by wild on Friday night? Like, I'm, I'm not going in all that. I don't really care. You discern that for yourself. Here's what I'm saying. I think there is a measure, and there are lots of other songs I could have played, y'all know what I'm talking about, that talk about doing some things kind of Monday through Saturday, and then there's this special day on Sunday, right? There's this special thing that happens, and that's, that's what we call cultural Christianity, Okay. That, that, that's this idea that, man, we do love Jesus, and we give him our lives, as long as it's not Monday through Saturday. And that, they don't say those last words, but that's the implication, isn't it? Like, there's, there's almost this, like, thing, like, as long as you don't kill people, and you try to do the best that you can, and you believe in a higher power, and we put his name as Jesus, then all is well. And, and I, I think when we're talking about witnessing and we're talking about going out and sharing with people the gospel, I think this, this kind of idea creeps into our hearts and our lives and it puts a lot of question marks and it puts a lot of divide on maybe I can't do this because of something like this, because of this belief. And, and here's what I, let me dive in deeper. I don't think Jesus died on a cross so that you could have cultural Christianity, Like, I think Jesus died on a cross so that you could go from death and defeat to life and and complete abundance. And, like, he didn't just do all of this so that you could become a better person. Like, he went through the greatest extents of agony and pain so that you could live out being a new creation in Christ. So for anyone who is in him, they are now new. And you know what new people live like? They don't live like old people. There's something different. There's something more. There's something grand, and there's an excitement that happens in their lives. Now, let me give you, I guess, a little, just a note. I'm not saying that as Christians, you're going to live this perfectly grand excitement life, and it's going to be like a movie, and there's never going to be pits of despair and moments of struggle. There will be moments of struggle. There will be moments of triumph. There will be moments where you fall so flat on your face in sin that the best thing for you and the only thing for you is Jesus. And here's the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. We recognize that, and we run back to him. Like, I don't try to pick myself up. I just drag myself to Jesus in some way, and I say, can you help me? And so when we're talking about sharing our faith, and we're looking at this idea of witnessing, what I want you to notice, what I want you to see, is that I think our culture makes it very difficult at times. We go on mission trips to places that are very different than ours, and what I have seen over years and years, the adult, the child, the student, whoever, they've gone into it with a I don't know, a boldness, and then we come home, and we're not as bold. You could argue some of that's the short-term mission trip versus the long-term lifestyle. I think there's also a part of it that we have a lot of people around us that claim to be Christ followers, and maybe we're one of them, but there's not a whole lot of fruit in their lives, and we settle for cultural Christianity rather than reaching for a relationship with Jesus, rather than saying, I want something different. I want something more. And when we talk about witnessing, what we need to remember is that our actions and our character are very much connected to our witness. So when, you, when somebody stands in the church and says, hey, let's go share the gospel with someone, there might be some of us in the room that go, I don't know if I can share the gospel with people at work because the, my actions don't line up with that belief system. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm not telling you that that's the truth for you. I'm asking you to wrestle with that. It seems to me that the difficulty we find in revealing our faith or witnessing to people in the everyday through our actions has at least two problems. And the first one is that our lives don't look that different from the average person around us. Think about your friend group. Think about the commonalities that you have. Think about the next layer of people, the coworkers, the family members. Think about your commonalities and ask a couple of questions. How does your language match up? How do your actions align? How does your character compare to theirs? Now, don't turn into legalism. Don't get to this place, well, I said one cuss word today, and they said 10, so I'm better. Like some could argue that all negative language is equal. You know what I mean? Like, I could say this word that isn't considered a cuss word in our culture, and I could say this word that is considered a cuss word in our culture, and guess what? They both have a negative connotation, and you know what that means then? They're both bad. So, let's stop, you know, highlighting some of these sins and, 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 and stop living in this checkmark life and go, I'm seeking after Jesus. And so, There are some things that are going to convict me and some things are going to convict you, but not all things are going to convict me and you. Does that make sense? So the first problem is I don't know that our lives always look that different. The second one is this. I don't know that we hold our friends, family members, and church members around us accountable to the profession of faith that they've given. So we talk about culture, Christianity, the difficulty because of the witnessing, because we all kind of get blended into this melting pot. And hopefully you're tracking with what I'm saying, and if you're not, you know, I guess I'll preach more messages about it, but if your life doesn't look that different from people in your circles, there's at least a chance that it's because you aren't living your Christ life, your your following in Him, your faith in a way that you should be. I'm not saying it's 100%. I mean, there's, there's a chance that you're just surrounded by really good Christians and you're all seeking after him on a regular basis. But I would argue that I think there's at least a portion of us that we fall into this trap of cultural Christianity, meaning it's kind of a status, but it isn't really a movement in our heart and in our lives, and it doesn't really change a whole lot. So when when we're living for him, there's this grand excitement that should happen. And people around us will witness something special, like the herdsmen and the townspeople witnessed. So the first kind of point in in this idea and in, in this key component is that we will have witnesses. The second one, and this one this one hurts sometimes, is the gospel won't seem good to everyone. The gospel won't seem good to everyone. R- ask or look in deeper to, to this situation. What happens after Jesus performs? This exorcism, this, this miracle. The town returns and asks him to leave. Now, I think we can all get the frustration on the herdsmen's part. They had 2,000 pigs. And Jesus didn't necessarily kill the pigs, but Jesus allowed them to die. Think about that in your job situation, right? If that's their job, these herdsmen, these, these pigs are money. Just think about it like that. Don't think about it any other some sort of way. If you're a farmer, if you, you, you manage cattle and livestock, whatever, you see 2,000 pigs die and it's Jesus' fault, are you going to be really excited about him? No, you're not. You're going to be upset because in some way, shape, or form, this guy just cost you money. Put that hat on and that same thinking cap and that same kind of vision, and then all of a sudden these townspeople show up. They hear the story of the disgruntled herds, herdsman. What do you think is going through their minds? This Jesus dude ain't going to do nothing but cost me money. He ain't going to do anything except for change the way that our systems work, and he's going to come and muck them up. He, he's going to get, it, it's going to be confusing, and yeah, great for those two guys over there that are no longer naked and afraid, but now all of a sudden they're bold and, you know, calm. They're, he's messing up my stuff. And this can happen when we share the good news. I mean, you read through Paul's letters and he says, like, to us, the gospel is greatness and glory and it's the answer, but to others, it is folly, it is foolishness. Why would anyone ever choose that? And so your job when you're witnessing with someone isn't to get it right for the win. Your job is to be faithful and he gets the win. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Like, I can preach an amazing message, and Lord willing, I have. And you know what? I've seen people not give their faith, not give their life to Jesus. And I don't go home crying about, man, Chris, if you'd just hit that one word differently. If you'd just hit that pause right there and let them lean in for a second and then bam, right? No, because you know what? I don't save anybody. I don't. You know, the best thing I can do is be faithful to this right here, to his words that have power and authority. That's the best thing I can do. Do you know why pulpits exist? You know, old, old-timey churches and lecterns, do you know why? I don't know if you know this or not, but they exist because they want to kind of point people to the idea that this person presenting the Word is standing behind his authority and not their own. So... When when we look at modern churches and contemporary churches, we go, man, it's pretty cool. They don't have that little pulpit and all that. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of cool, but there's also some architectural symbolic things that we miss in that. There's some beauty when you walk into this kind of old timey church, when they got everything, you know, ornate and it's all pretty, and you got this nice pulpit, and the guy stands behind it and it's it's teaching, hopefully, that it's not about his words, it's about the word of the Lord. So we, we've seen these witnesses. We've seen witness number one, the herdsmen. We've seen witness number two, the townspeople, and then we've seen that they've gotten that, you know, the gospel didn't always land on them well. What about the men who were delivered? How, how, how do we think they received this news? Luke chapter 8 verse 38. It says, The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. What you see in this picture is that when we've encountered something so grand, so life changing to go from death to life, to be this new creature, new creation is what scripture calls us. We can't hold back our excitement. You know what the purpose of quiet times are? Prayer, worship gatherings, missional communities. They exist to remind us of the healing and the life that we've received in Jesus. You and I are broken. And if we only focus on the negative of our life and the hard times of our life, what we'll do is we'll We'll forget as Christ followers that, man, he has set us free from bondage. He has given us everything we need. And so the question is, are you leaning in to the abundant life that he has for you? Or are you still trying to hold on to some of these negative things around us in the world, the cultural Christianity things, the, the things of this world? I saw, I saw a guy giving an illustration the other day, and he had two ladders on the stage. And he was saying, oh, every time we check mark in life with Jesus we're trying to follow him, we, we lift this leg and we go up the ladder over here. But then every time we, we kind of cling to the world, we, we, we move up the ladder over here. And there will come a point in our life, right, where our feet are so divided that we have to make a choice. We can't have one foot in the world and one foot in Jesus. We have to be fully committed one way or the other. Where is your commitment? One of the things that I I love to do when maybe my life isn't uh, fixated on Jesus the way I would desire it to is I like to go back to the Lord's table. That's what we're going to do. Band, you can go ahead and come up. We're, we're going to move to a time of communion this morning, and what I want to encourage you to do today is I want to encourage you to think about the excitement and the wonder of Jesus. I want you to think about your relationship with him. Is it just this kind of religion thing that maybe you were born into, like you've gone to church your whole life, and it's just... The motions that you go through? Or is it an actual relationship with a living God who took you from death to life? When you go to the table here in just a moment, I want you to take the bread and remember the body of Jesus broken for you. I want you to look at it, hold it, think about it, pray, reflect, maybe get with your MC or get with someone else in your your life, your spouse, a friend, whoever, go off into a corner somewhere in the room and And just reflect of the utter brokenness that Jesus went through to connect with you. And then take it and eat it. And then as you pick up the juice, I want you to remember grace upon grace upon grace. The the juice represents this new covenant. And the new covenant is simply this, that you no longer are bound by these laws that you had to somehow fulfill, even though you couldn't actually fulfill them. The only thing that you are now bound to is Scripture says that we're we're to be servants of Jesus. We're we're to turn from the old reckless bondage of our life, let go of the things of this world and cling so closely to him. And that juice says, if you do that, if you believe and follow Jesus, then you're his son. You're his daughter. And that can't ever be removed. Maybe you're going to the table this morning and, and you're thinking about all of the ways that you've fallen short. I don't know if I'm worthy to go to it. Here's the thing. This is beauty, right? You're not worthy and neither am I. But Jesus died and said, you're mine so you're worthy to come and remember me. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never said, hey, I'm following him, then you can't remember him at the table. So I would encourage you to not go to the table, and I would encourage you to come find me. I'll be down front over here. And I'd love to have a conversation with you about walking with Jesus and giving your life to him. So structurally how this is going to work is we're going to ask that everyone kind of go up the middle aisle back here to the table and then go down back to your seats through the sides. And then after you've taken communion, you've gotten your heart right with the Lord and you've hopefully fixed your eyes on him and you've got this excitement stirring. I want to encourage you to come to the altar. Down front we have cards that say you're invited on there. I want to encourage you, that one person you're thinking about sharing your faith with this week, you're going to pray for, you're going to pray by name, I, John I hope I get this opportunity, Lord give me an opportunity to present the gospel to John or present my story to John I want you to carry that card with you and when that opportunity arises give John the card and say I want to give you this, can I, take, can I take 60 seconds 90 seconds, 2 minutes to share my story with you because here's the thing, every single one of us that have prayed to receive Christ, that have come to him and recognize who he is, you know what happened in order for you to do that? Somebody shared the story with you. And so if you've received this excitement, this, this energy, this salvation, then I hope and pray that you and I will both be like the free men who were once demon-possessed and go and tell the towns around us. Look at what this Jesus can do. He did it for me. He can do it for you. Let's pray. God, I just ask that this morning, as we looked at your text and saw that there are certainly hindrances and hurdles to sharing the gospel and people won't always receive it well, Lord, I pray that we will be aware of our witness. We'll be aware of the life that we're living, the words that we're saying, the things that we're doing, and we will do it all for your glory. Give us the courage to know and to go to a brother or sister in Christ. Hey, I'm struggling with this. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure how to live this way. I'm not sure how to do these things. And I, I pray that that brother or sister give us grace and understand sanctification and the journey that we're on rather than judgment now, but just the journey of following Jesus. God, help each and every one of us to be excited about what you've given us. To not just enter into a religion, but into a relationship with a living God who wants to see us flourish in his name. Give us the boldness to share that story with somebody this week. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.